The Daily Tap is live for Wednesday. We will talk Packer Commander storylines. We will also talk about what to expect in Marjan Bochamp's first year. Can he break the bud glass ceiling? And then lastly, Tyler Kolick has a message to the haters. Chuck's Corner is on 40 times. Before we get going, uh, make sure that you are rating and reviewing these podcasts Um I know hopefully you guys have listened to the NBA preview pod. If you haven't, uh, make sure that you're checking that out. Uh, we got a couple more days till the Bucks play. Actually, tomorrow, Bucks will be underway. We'll obviously recap that after uh, when we do our podcast for Friday. So stay tuned for that. Um, also, uh, make sure that you are subscribed. If for some reason you're not, you're coming in from one of our social channels, which we'll talk about where you can find us there if you don't know already. Uh, and we're on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're on Good Pods, we're on everywhere else you can get your podcasts. So make sure that you check us out there. Lastly, um, yes, we're on social media, of course. Uh, it's having the keg on Twitter, it's having the keg sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok. Also, same name on Facebook if you are an old, which if you are, all are welcome. Um, so I do not discriminate here. All right, let's get into it. Let's talk Packer Commander storylines. The Green Bay Packers, this was supposed to be the easy part of their schedule, right? This was supposed to be the time where Green Bay could easily be 7-1. Green Bay could march their way to their matchup with Buffalo. It'd be considered a Super Bowl preview, and it's nothing of the sort. Rather, Green Bay is trying to avoid their third straight embarrassing loss. Now, I realize the Jets and Giants have winning records, and in retrospect, at the end of the year, we might look back at those Giants and Jets games and think of them a lot different, and that Vegas had it completely wrong, and these two teams were very close to one another because right now the Giants and Jets are both in the playoffs, but it's a long season, right? Remember when the Packers beat Cincinnati in Cincinnati in that wild game that nearly ended in a tie, then it had a bunch of missed field goals, the whole kit and caboodle. It was a dumb fucking game in Cincinnati. And we came away from that, first of all, thinking the Packers should have lost that game, number one. But number two, we didn't necessarily look at Cincinnati as the Super Bowl representative for the AFC. That wasn't one of the AFC contenders. That wasn't considered this quote-unquote good win. But if we look at it now and we look at last year, we're like, wow, they beat the Bengals, one of the teams. They actually beat both Super Bowl participants, which, again, sours sort of that feeling of the Packers should have been there. But they beat the Bengals. They beat the Rams. And you, the Rams were, was foreseen as a big win because it helped you in terms of getting home field advantage, which proves to be meaningless. But the Bengals part of it, no one really knew that that was a good win at the time. So that to say, you know, the Giants and Jets losses are bad. The Jets one's just embarrassing because it was at home and they looked lifeless. They looked like they didn't want to be there. And it goes into some of Matt LaFleur's issues with sort of how he prepares his team. And I think he didn't get them ready after London, even though he acted like he didn't want the bye week. The Packers played like a team coming off a bye. Remember, Green Bay's had some struggles coming off the bye. They've been a little bit better recently, but the first couple of years of Lafleur, they had some really weird losses. There's like one weird loss a year coupled with the week one malaise that they're usually in. And this seems to be that. Now, maybe there are more down the pipeline because the Packers aren't as good as they used to be, but I, that's how I'm going to look at that. I'm going to look at A, the Jets could be good. Same with the Giants. And B, 
there are there is that one weird game a year. Now, if they have it again, I think that it's just we think Green Bay is not a, not that good of a football team. And I'm expecting Green Bay to be four and four heading into the second half of the season. And I think everybody is, right? I think you expect to win against Washington and then Buffalo, you expect to lose. And like it's not even that like it's a defeatist mentality, right? Like Buffalo's really fucking good. They're the best team in football, right? So I don't I look at that as a scheduled loss. And I I looked at it as a scheduled loss when I thought the Packers would only lose three or four games this season, right? So this isn't something that I just randomly cooked up. So I personally want to look at that and say, like, I, I'm not panicking. I'm not really worried about the long-term outlook. Um, I, I am concerned about a few things, and we'll get into that with the storylines. But I, I wanted to open, before we talked about the storylines, just about where we are and sort of reset it and paint the picture as we head into week number seven. So let's get into storylines. We do this every week. We run through anywhere from three to seven storylines that I really think people will talk about or should be talking about when it comes to the Packers and Commanders game. First of all, will the offense get simple for Rodgers and company? So Aaron Rodgers, after the game on Sunday, talked about how the offense needed to get more simple, that we needed to get back to basics is what Rodgers said. And Rodgers was a little pointed in that and and kind of describing that there was too much going on and that, that the mental mistakes were happening and that if the mental mistakes were avoided, I'm a little bit speaking for Rodgers, so I'm not trying to, and I'm not trying to put words in the mouth or aggregate him in any way. But basically what Rodgers was saying is we need to dumb it down a little bit, right? And I, there was a clip pulled from part of my takes interview with Rodgers over the, the summer over at, in training camp they thought kind of described this really well and really interesting kind of to look at in retrospect to be like, is this exactly what Rogers is saying and what Rogers is trying to convey? So if you didn't see this on Twitter, here is Rogers from the Pardon My Take interview. He's talking about LaFleur. Play without a motion to pass, so we can get some tempo going. 
So that's Aaron Rodgers from the interview with part of my take and being pretty critical of motion, right? Like being very pointed about that the Packers have too much motion. And I think that can be correlated back to the simplification. And Rodgers wants to see a little more of a West Coast offense approach. And I do wonder if you can combine the two. It's been pointed out on Twitter that West Coast offense is kind of dead, right? We don't we don't really see the West Coast offense run because defenses have figured it out. Defenses know what to do against the West Coast offense. I could slightly push back and say there's a lot of cover two, cover three that's going on in the NFL right now. We thought that stuff was dead, you know, a couple of years ago. Why couldn't you revive the West Coast offense or basically make it a West Coast hybrid? Basically have plays that are non-motion and then bring in some motion, bring in the occasional motion into it and let the defense, you know, have to deal with a little bit of motion and maybe not as much motion as we've seen from the Packers. The tempo part is also very interesting because we saw last week in Indianapolis with the Colts who struggled offensively really pick it up when they started to run a lot of motion. They started to do, or not a lot of motions, mark the back. They were running more of a hurry-up offense, more of a, a up-tempo approach, and not necessarily letting the defense get settled. And it really worked out well for Matt Ryan. It was a really, really good thing for Matty Ice, and Matty Ice had his best game of the season. And now this is probably the way Indianapolis goes forward. And even though that they have struggled, even though it's been rough for the first five games, they are right in the mix to get the divisional spot for the AFC South, which is never a great division, but it's definitely encouraging if you're a Colts fan. Like if you're coming away from that Jaguars game, you're like, okay, the Colts are finally finding their footing. And I think maybe the Commanders game can be this, the Packers are finally finding their footing. Now, unfortunately for Green Bay, they don't have to play Tennessee. They have to play Buffalo, as mentioned. And so there might not be this ability to exactly get it together for multiple weeks. But Buffalo, defensively, while good, right? They're good. No, don't get me wrong. They're not the 86 Bears, okay? They, they just aren't. And so they are beatable. And, and football's a week-to-week league. And I guarantee you, if Green Bay plays well against Washington... I will talk myself into them beating Buffalo. I don't know if I'll bet it, but I I will talk myself into it. I will 100% talk myself into potentially Green Bay winning. Okay, we spent a lot of time on that first storyline, but I I think it's the biggest one. I mean, I think it's the biggest one. I think you could argue it's the biggest storyline of the season. I don't even think it's just the Commanders game. I think it's a theme throughout the entire year. Number two is, will the Packers be able to, to keep up with the pass rush of this Washington team. Washington likes to rush the passer. Washington has a lot of flaws. They are not a good football team. I've deemed them one of the worst in football, but you know what they can do? They can rush the quarterback. They get after quarterbacks. And that is a little concerning after what we saw against the New York Jets. And I would imagine they will look at a lot of stunts and a lot of stuff that the Jets did and try to apply it. Montez Sweat, Darren Payne, Deron Payne, excuse me, Jonathan Allen are all big dudes inside. And that's going to make Royce Allen's, or Royce Allen, uh, Royce Newman's job 
a lot tougher and a lot more can be said about why Royce Newman shouldn't be out there. This is a classic game where Royce Newman should not be anywhere near the field. Uh, this this is not the defense to go up against Allen, Payne, and Sweat. I mean, those are all first-round picks. Jamin Davis, also uh, the outside linebacker, is a first-round pick. They have a lot of talent you know, in that front seven. They really actually run a front six. They run a 4-2-6, so they run more corners and things like that. But they are going to bring the pain. And, I, and not to Deron Payne, but like seriously, that's... That's a tough front, and the Packers are going to have to be ready for it. They're going to have to be more prepared than they were last week against the Jets. And you'd like to think that the offensive line will not be as bad as they were last week. It was one of the worst offensive line performances for the Green Bay Packers in recent memory. I don't think they're that bad. I, I really don't. I, I think Royce Newman's that, that bad, but I don't think in general they are going to be that bad. And also, again, heading into the Buffalo game the next week, and I, again, I'm not trying to say this is a look-ahead spot for Green Bay. It, it could be, but I, I think it would be if it was if the Packers were 6-1 and one right now. If the Packers had taken care of business against the Jets and the Giants, I think we're like, okay, this is a look-ahead spot. But to go to the offensive line, again, you want to look good before you're facing Buffalo. Buffalo doesn't blitz, but they get after the quarterback. And Von Miller has, you know, found the fountain of youth and the money he's making, he's not just cashing a check. Like he he was all over the field late in that Kansas City game. It seems like he gets up for the big games. He might not get up for the random noon start, he but he gets up for those big games. And I think that's something the Packers will have to consider, and they're going to have to work through it. And this offensive line at least needs to give you some confidence heading into that game against Buffalo. And if they don't, then obviously it's a worry because you have Buffalo's pass rush, and then two weeks after that, you have Dallas's, and you have Philadelphia's in a month after. Like, you're not going to just face a couple hard pass rushes. They're going to keep coming. Your schedule gets tougher. Like you said, this is the easier part of your schedule. The schedule gets really tough in November. And we've discussed that with Mitch a little bit uh, when we were doing grades, I think two weeks ago, which would probably be a funny podcast to look back in retrospect of how we graded the Packers back in the first quarter. Those second quarter grades, when Mitch and I do that in a couple weeks here, it's not going to be fucking pretty. We are not going to really have you know the same happy-go-lucky thoughts that we did for the first four games of the season. Moving on to storyline number three, is Taylor Heineke better than Carson Wentz? So Taylor Heineke is going to be the quarterback. Uh, the Packers, yet again, will get a backup quarterback in there. Uh, Taylor Heineke takes over for Carson Wentz as Carson Wentz needs surgery on his finger. So Taylor Heineke did lead this Washington team to success in 2020, but Taylor Heineke kind of got exposed in 2021. It wasn't that good of a year for him. The Packers actually beat Taylor Heineke. Taylor Heineke loves Brett Favre. He plays a little bit like Brett Favre in the way of he just runs around. He makes some mistakes here and there. The Packers should be able to take advantage of Taylor Heineke. A buddy of mine pointed out that this defense might actually just be okay. It's just that the offense puts them in a bad position and that they wear down because there's so many possessions. And if they had less possessions and the offense was able to score and control the clock a little bit more, that we'd see a better version of this defense that are always playing from behind. I think it's extremely fair. And it's a, a good critique of the defense, not in a negative, but in almost more of a defense 
of that they are better than maybe we think. And they could really get to Taylor Heineke. And they could really make some plays here. And if there was a game for the defense to break out, this might be it. And this might be one. And even though Heineke has some qualities that you like more so than Carson Wentz. And Carson Wentz, he doesn't turtle like Carson Wentz does when it comes to pressure. And I'll be curious to see if the offensive line for Washington is as bad as the stats say. The DVOA and everything else hates that offensive line for Washington. They've given up 23 sacks so far. Their adjusted sack rate is over 10%. Like it is not good for Washington, but is that predicated because of Carson Wentz or is the offensive line really that bad for the commanders? They've been out, uh, they've been without their right tackle the last couple of weeks. I would imagine they get him back. So maybe that's something that could help and, and kind of, you know, shift the tide a little bit. But yeah, I, I look at this and I, I just wonder, you know, Will this offensive line be able to hold up? And again, is this a breakout game for this defense? Fourth storyline, can the Packers actually win in Washington? So Green Bay will have a ton of fans there. The commanders hate their fucking team. Uh, All the fans want Dan Snyder to sell a team. They're not supporting Dan Snyder. I totally understand what they're doing there. And I think it's actually pretty smart. The Packers have lost there in 2018. They lost there in 2016 in the regular season in games that really weren't close. They did win in the playoffs in 2016 after they had gotten beat by, I think, it was a 42 to 24. It was a primetime game. I believe this was when Green Bay went to four and six. I believe, no, it was four and five, and then they lose to Tennessee the following week. I called for McCarthy's job in the blog I used to when I used to write. Um, and then Green Bay ran the table, and the rest was history. And the Green and Green Bay, you know, basically, you know, figured it out. The rest of the season, got themselves to the championship game with an unreal win against Dallas on the road, and that and that's all she wrote. But Green Bay has not won regular season in DC since 2004. They don't play there often, but they they haven't won there since 2004. Favre had a bad game, but Green Bay was able to overcome it. They won 20 to 14. Mark Brunel was the quarterback of the then Redskins at the time. So that would be a lot of, I wouldn't say it's an exercise of demons because it's not a place we play every year, but it'd be nice to say, okay, the last regular season win was 2022 and Green Bay should take care of business. But yes, it has not been a fun place to play for the Packers in the past. Lastly, speaking of fun, this is the last storyline. Will the Packers actually look like they're having fun out there? I think that's been a thing I've noticed. Um, I think we talked about how they didn't have a lot of heart in the post-game review after the Jets game. And there's been a lot of questions about the Packers' heart. And they've been questioned about, you know, are they a team? And I think I'd like to see a little more energy from them. I'd like to see a little more excitement. I'd like to see, you know, guys building each other up. I I don't want to see just guys being individuals and celebrating on their own. I want to see everybody celebrating together. I realize this sounds like a boomer. This sounds like a high school coach, maybe like Trent Dilfer. Like this sounds like something Trent Dilfer would say. And like, I like Trent, I actually like Trent Dilfer. A lot of people don't. I I enjoy him. I think he's very insightful. So isn't isn't really a shot at Dilfer. It's just something I could hear him say. Like I had literally hear him talk about this because he's a high school coach. And this is exactly this high school shit, right? I want to see these guys have fun and I want to see them have fun with their team. And I hope... I really hope that that's something I see from the Packers this Sunday. Um, and let's just have an enjoyable fucking Sunday, huh? 
When's the last time we enjoyed a Sunday? Maybe the first half of that Tampa game? I think that's it, right? The second half of New England was was fun, but again, the defense, you know, wore down in that one. And so it wasn't it wasn't fun. The first half of the Giants was okay. But like it would be fucking awesome for Green Bay to play a complete game and absolutely shit pump Washington. That would be I think if they did that, I think a lot of the thoughts on this team would change. I realize and there would be people who'd be like, it's just Washington, and that's fair. But again, you have two road games and you know, you have a three-game road trip here because you go Washington. Buffalo, Detroit, and you could easily be two and one. And I think Detroit, while I was a little concerned about them earlier this year, and it's a sandwich game because you have Buffalo and then Dallas, and then you Detroit slides right slides right in there. Detroit's defense is terrible; it's an absolute joke. And so, if you can't get right against Detroit's defense, I don't know wh- where you will. So, it'll be very interesting to see the ebbs and flows. Of this Packer team. Could they realistically be 5-5 five and five after 10 games? Yeah. Does that mean they're not going to be a playoff team? No. Um, you do want to see some consistency develop. And I do think it will. I, at some point, it's all going to click. If Aaron Rodgers feels like it's going to click, I realize there's a lot of questions about Aaron Rodgers. I get that he might not be the quarterback that he was two years ago. I still believe in Aaron Rodgers. I still think that Aaron Rodgers can do this and right this ship. And I think it's a combination of everybody and it's not one person. And I hope that we start seeing it in Washington on Sunday. Moving on to Marjan Bochamp. So hand up in our NBA preview pod, you might have noticed, we did not talk about Marjan Bochamp. That was a miss. Um, Looking back on it, we should have printed out a roster. We should have went through line by line and we would have definitely talked about Marjan Bochamp. So I am retrofitting Marshawn Beauchamp into today's podcast. And I will not admit on social media that we did not talk about Marshawn Beauchamp. And the only people that will realize that I fucked this up will be those who actually listen. So we'll, we'll go forward there. Um, as for Marshawn Beauchamp, um, I, I expect a big year from him. I really do. And I know that rookies and the Bucks do not always combine. Mike Boonholzer has not been one to play rookies throughout his entire tenure as a head coach in the NBA. He didn't do it in Atlanta. He didn't really do it in Milwaukee. Now, Milwaukee hasn't always given him the ability to play first-round picks because they've either traded him away, they've been in the G League, or whatever it may be. And this would be a real opportunity for Mike Boonholzer to bring in a rookie and have him make an impact immediately. Do I expect Marshawn Bochamp to get 15 minutes a game early in this season? No. I think it's going to come with time. I think they're going to throw him out there maybe end of first quarter, early second quarter, see what they have, see if there, see if there's something there. And if the on-off numbers and the analytics look good, you know, maybe a little bit more. I think there will be opportunities early on for him to have an impact. And I realize that is a tall task, right? You're a rookie. You're, you're pl- you did play in the G League, which I think will help. But still, like it's, it, it's a new territory. In regular season basketball versus preseason basketball, there's an obvious level up. It's not, and it's not just a like little bit of a level up. It's a full fucking jump to the, to the regular season. But Bochamp's going to get some opportunities because there's not a lot of win, wing depth for the, for the Milwaukee Bucks right now. 
You are missing Chris Middleton. You're missing Pat Connaughton. You're going to need guys to fill minutes. And with the way Bud does it, it's not like he's going to be putting Giannis out there for 35, 40 minutes. It's going to be 32, maybe to 35, and making sure that there are other guys to support. And that could be Bochamp. And if Bochamp makes an early statement, and when Middleton and Connaughton come back, probably around a similar timeline, then Bochamp's going to be in that, that regular rotation. And that could be one of the things that steadies the tide for Milwaukee before Joe Ingles comes back. Because once Joe Ingles comes back, I, I think that will knock down Bochamp, but you never know, right? You know, I my guy Shafty, who I, I love on Twitter, Shafty Bro, uh, if you haven't followed, he's very big on starting Marjan. He wants to start Marjan. He thinks that Marjan would excel in, as that two guard. Um, I don't know if I'm completely on board with that, but it's an interesting it's an interesting theory, right? It's basically that you're done with Grayson Allen and you feel like Marshawn can add length, size, speed to that offense and and maybe a little bit of an explosive punch and do a little bit more than what we see out of Grayson Allen. I, I recognize that it's it's a interesting theory. I just don't know if that's something Bud will do. I think Bud would have to see a lot with Bochamp early on to be like, all right, put him in the starting rotation. I think it would be probably a July, or January, excuse me, January or February thing and not necessarily a November or December thing. I, I do imagine though that he's going to get this opportunity. And I guess the question is, is what if he falls flat on his face? Like if we go negative here, which I'm not a negative guy, but if we go negative, like what if he, what if he sucks? What if he's not good? I think then it's, it's just a matter of managing minutes, right? It's a man, it's not going, they're not going to bury him on the bench. I hope. I really don't think that even if he's bad, that he will end up getting buried on the bench. I still think he's going to get opportunity, but if Jordan Nora outplays him, which I don't really expect. But if Jordan Nora outplays him, then I'm sorry, but Nora, Nora gets his minutes. Like that's that's how it works. Like w- even though we all want Marjan to play and people will be like, oh, Buck's development and hand-wanging motion. It's like, okay, but the what's on the court's on the court, right? And I got accused last week of nerd stats with defensive rating. But if like there are on-off defensive rating numbers that show Jordan Nora is being more of a contributor than Bochamp, then you have your answer. So yes, there will be a competition, and I think that's great. First of all, like I think it's great that these these guys will be competing to start the year, and you know, fighting for minutes and fighting for you know who is one of the first off the bench. And so it'll be be very curious to see Bud's rotations early on this season. You know, the Bucks have you know kind of a spaced out schedule. At least the first three games kind of gets kicked in the overdrive after that, but. Those first three games, you know, you play Philly on Thursday, play Houston on Saturday, and then you don't play till Wednesday. So you have you have a lot of time to sort of a watch the tape, b start getting comfortable with this team. It's not going to be completely it's not going to be completely solved for right away, right? Like we're not going to immediately look at this team and think, all right, they are championship or bust. We're going seventy wins, like. That's not what the the Bucks aren't going to be full until at least Thanksgiving, if not you know middle of December. So I think that we have to reserve judgment a little bit, and that goes to Bochamp and, and everybody really about where where we are. And maybe this is more of a topic for tomorrow when we can get into this. 
But yeah, I think there's some PSAs that might be might be needed for Bucks fans because it's it's not going to be all rainbows and unicorns early on, especially when you're missing two of your key guys. But yes, I, I do think Bochamp can make an impact. I do think he can break through and he does enough good things defensively that I think can get him minutes. And I think if the defense is there, I think you can make up for the lack of offense. And also, I don't think he's not going to be an offensive player. Like, I think there's going to be, there are there are skills there. It's not like he's Thibault or something. I, I think there are skills there. It's just basically what I'm saying is he's not just all offense. And if he was all offense, I think it would be a lot harder for him to make the rotation. I think because he's def- he's really good defensively, I think that helps in terms of making sure that he has you know defensive qualities that will help the Bucks and make the Bucks a better team overall. Moving on to Tyler Kolick uh, of Marquette, we haven't talked a lot of college basketball media days. Everything's getting going. We'll I think try to get a college basketball preview. We'll do Marquette in Wisconsin. Um, I will tell you, I think we talked about it last year, but for those who are new to the show, um, I used to talk a lot about Wisconsin, even though I'm not a Wisconsin basketball fan. And I then said I needed to take a step back because I just didn't have time to, to grind out and watch a bunch of Badger games that I didn't care about. And I think for me, like with the Badgers, it's going to be one of those things where I'll try my best to pay attention to it. And if I watch a game or I, I watch how they're playing, I will have discussions about it. But if I don't, I'm not going to force it in there. I'm not going to try to pretend I watched or be like, oh yeah, here's what I think. And because you guys don't want that. You, you can find other people. I mean, at one point I thought about creating my own Badger podcast that I had nothing to do with. That was just my friends who I knew who you know might want to be interested in podcasting. And if there are people who are listening that are interested, I, you know, work on some samples, like get me, I don't, I'm not going to just give, I'm not going to hand a podcast over, but if you tape something on your own and are like, here's my Badger podcast, I will at least, I'll at least give it, give it a thought. So that's a door open for those who might be interested, might be thinking about, you know, getting into this space. If you were interested, I will, I will take, I will at least give you a listen, give you feedback, kind of see what we can do. Um, it might not be something where it's on the tab in the keg feed. It could be just its own thing. Okay, sorry. That was a tangent, but I, I think it's a good opener because I, I don't know if people know like the Badger Marquette, you know, kind of cross section. I do want to do a podcast on that. I did did that last year, but I kind of want to do it even more this year because I'm more, I think I'm more vocal about Wisconsin football than I used to be, whatever. Uh, maybe we'll do it, maybe we won't. Marquette, Tyler Kolick. One of the leaders of the Marquette team was at Big East Media Day yesterday, and they were asked about, you know, what what do you feel about Marquette being picked ninth in the Big East? And Kolick basically said, fuck him. I absolutely love that. I absolutely love Tyler Kolick, you know, basically saying we do not give a single damn about anybody and how anyone feels about Marquette basketball this year. That absolutely warmed my heart because I truly, truly think Marquette can be good this year. I think they carry the attitude of Shaka Smart. I think it's really fun 
to see sort of that from the from the Golden Eagles and to start the year. And it really excites me. And I realize that not everybody is high on Marquette. That's okay. But if they are high on themselves, if they are high on their own supply, give me that all fucking day. I will I will take that. Yeah. So for example, Ken uh, Ken Palm is projecting a 15 and 15 record for Marquette and 9 and 11 in con- in conference. So we know that yeah, there is a there is a chance that maybe Marquette will not be good, but they defied expectations last year. They made the NCAA tournament. Yes, they did get trip pumped by North Carolina, but still, I don't think any any of us were expecting uh, them to be there. And then North Carolina ended up being the eventual national runner up, which which we did not expect. They do have a lot to, you know, make up for from last year. Uh, they, you know, Justin Lewis no longer there. Daryl Marcel also no longer there. Uh, both were the big time contributors for this team. Greg Elliott also out, but I actually think that's better. Um, I like Greg, but I felt like Greg was sort of stuck in the last generation and there was a lot of, to Greg's game, like we did this with Wojo. Why aren't we doing this with Shaka? And I, I have no inside intel. I, that's just the vibe I got. And I think David Joplin's going to step up. I think, again, Kolick. I think Kolick will have a really good year. I think he can be sort of maybe a Big East player, a guy that people talk about. I am really high on Oso Iguodara, a.k.a. the Desert Bear. I've had Desert Bear stock since last year. So I think the fact that Kolick and Marquette's attitude is fuck him. I love it. I love that. I love the feeling of that. And I also think it's a wide open Big East. Like we only have two teams that are ranked in the top 25 to start the year. Now I know preseason polls are usually meaningless, right? They're usually good, just fodder, good discussion for people to have. But you only have Creighton, you only have Villanova. Creighton to me is gonna is overrated. All right. I'm already gonna plant my flag in that and say Creighton is overrated. Creighton has not been the team that gets chased. I was talking to Coach, my guy, about this on Sunday, and he kind of mentioned, like, Creighton's a team that would rather be chased, or rather be the chaser than the chased. And I I could say that about Wisconsin Hoops. I could say that about a lot of other people, other teams that haven't been in that scenario before. Like, Michigan State knows what that's like. Um, Duke knows what that's like. North Carolina knows what that's like. Kansas knows what that's like. Creighton doesn't know about that. This is the highest Creighton has been to start the year. There is an immense amount of pressure on Creighton, and I just don't think they're going to live up to it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll, you know, they're in the Maui this year. Maybe they'll run through the Maui, and then I have to reset how I think about Creighton, and that game gets a lot harder for Marquette in mid-December, which is going to be awesome. I have tickets for that game. I'm so excited for that game. It's a Friday night. It's going to be a fucking shit show down at the Fiserv. Like, I, I cannot wait for that game. Speaking of that, Villanova. Villanova obviously has the talent, but like Kyle Neptune did a good job last year at Fordham. Uh, he he, you know, it seems like a good young coach. But what's the fall off from Jay Wright? Are we going to see it this year? Are we going to see it next year? It we it's not just a guarantee that Villanova is going to be the Villanova we've seen for the last five to ten years. Seton Hall, new coach, right? Providence always good, but they lost a lot from last year. So like. There's just, there's just a lot of questions. St. John's people are high on, but I feel like every year we're either high on St. John's or we're high on Georgetown because they have all the athletes, they have all the talent, and then it just doesn't, it doesn't come together. 
So like that that part to me is like where I I question Xavier has a new coach, right? Like we'll just see Butler. I think Butler's that about a new another new coach. Like it, it, the Big East to me is very unpredictable. Is where I'll end it. And so for Kolek to say fuck him, he's absolutely right. Because I don't think we have any fucking idea of what this conference is going to look like at the end of the year. So kudos to Tyler Kolek. I love that comment. I thought that was great. And it really kind of get, lit a spark under my ass for the Marquette season, um, which is only a few weeks away. Uh, Marquette will take liftoff on Monday, November the 7th against Radford, uh, the mighty, I don't know, Radford, the Highlanders of Radford, Virginia. Coached by Darius Nicholas. Uh, so there you go. Uh, <laughs> it's probably way too much information that you needed to know. All right, let's move and end with Chuck's Corner. If you're unfamiliar with Chuck's Corner, it's kind of the time where I take and I just talk bullshit and I just shoot the shit with you guys, kind of get away from sports because, and this is a little sports adjacent, but stuff that is not necessarily about our Wisconsin sports teams. Um, I think it's a good way to just normalize this podcast like you're you're hanging out with me and not necessarily like all sports all the time and i went away from it a little bit because these podcasts get long but i i looked at it too and i'm like all right we need to bring a little more fun a little more juice into it and that's what we're gonna do so van latham had a tweet the other day or yesterday i think it was he's like regular dudes how fast do you think you could run the 40 in and I responded to it. Uh, you might have saw it, Tabby Nakaga on Twitter. But I want to talk about it because 40-yard dashes are interesting. Um, I, everybody thinks they could probably, you know, run a 4.5 to a 5.040 if they're very athletic, right? If they work out, if they do maybe a little bit of cardio, they think they could go and pop off a 4.5 to a 5.040. But in reality, like that's really fucking hard to do. It's, ex- it's extremely hard because also there is a get off to it. Like that to me was my biggest problem when I ran the 40 years ago when I played football at Eau Claire was I had bad reaction where they're like, go. And I was a step slow and that led to my slow time. I also didn't, I wasn't great with my stride. My stride was terrible. I, I ran terribly for a long time and I fixed my stride really from the internet so like I ran a 5.9 and 6.1, I think, were my 240 times, if I'm not mistaken, my freshman and sophomore year. I think freshman year I was 6.1, sophomore year I was 5.9. And, you know, I was a lot heavier then. And I also like didn't really work on, you know, I had muscles, right? But I, I wasn't working out the way I am probably today, um, honestly. And the way I worked out then was I was doing it to check boxes, right? I wasn't doing it for myself. I was doing it because the coaches needed me to do bench press and power clean and things like that. And, you know, looking back in retrospect and and we could do a whole podcast on college regrets, but like I should have definitely spent a summer in Eau Claire. And I think if I would have spent a summer in Eau Claire, I actually think I might've been a better football player for it. But I don't necessarily regret only playing two years of football. I really don't. Um, I think it helped me academically. It helped me with my friends. You know, I think a lot of people who just play a sport only are friends with the people they play a sport with. And you kind of lose, you know, some of the other things. So, like, 
I don't exactly like regret not playing more football. I just think if I would have spent a summer in Eau Claire, I would have actually been a lot better. But I think part of that was predicated on I didn't really have a place to stay. I was in the dorms my freshman and sophomore year, I guess. I was into my junior year. We had got a house and I think we moved in in June. So I could have essentially, you know, been in that house starting in June and maybe I should have. And that's okay. Like, right. You know what I mean? Maybe, you know, I'll, that could have affected it, but we're not here to talk about that. (laughs) We're here to talk about the forties. I went off track. So where could I run a 40 today? I think I'd do five, five. I think I could get it down to five, five. I really do. I think I maybe five seven, maybe five five is a little too ambitious, but I think I could do a five five to five seven. I run about anywhere from nine to twelve miles a week. Um, I realize that that is endurance. That's not fast twitch. I don't really do a lot of sprints. I'll be honest. Um, it's mostly because I don't have a gym that allows for that sort of thing. But if I were to do a sprint and I and it was warm like warm weather, everything else, like I do think I could get. Five, five to five, seven. Now, granted, it'd be hand time, so there would be you know a little bit of complication there versus like an automatic timer. I don't think there's any place we could go where it would be automatically timed and see what I could pop off for a for a forty yard dash. But again, going back to my stride, like I fixed my stride running because I would have really bad back issues um, when I would run, and it would be really frustrating. And I'd be on the treadmill, and I'd be like, why can't I? Why can't I do cardio? And what I learned, and I really self-taught this, was that I was running too straight up. Like I, I would just run where I'd have a stick up my ass. And once I like lowered my shoulders and I and I ran with basically putting my hands in my pockets essentially, I became a much better like long-term runner. And that's advice to anybody. Like if you have back problems when you run, it's probably not your back. It's probably just you fucking have bad form. And that's okay. Like I had bad form too. So that's, that's why I think I could have a better 40 time. I'm maybe a little less from a weight perspective. I'm not like, not like an Adonis these days. Like I'm not like all of a sudden 280 or 260 and I'm like, okay, yeah, for sure. It's like, no, I still have a lot of weight to move and, and height. But yeah, I think I could pop off a five, 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 seven. Let me know what your 40 time would be. I'd be curious to hear if you feel like you could run a faster 40 than the last time you, you ran it. I'd be very curious. Okay, we'll be back tomorrow. No tapping the keg. We did that earlier this week, so you'll have me tomorrow. Uh, I, I want to get into a couple things uh, that I, I've been thinking about. I want to look at, you know, when the Packers were 500, you know, what did that correlate? I know the big one is 2010. They win the Super Bowl, you know, after starting 3-3. Three and three. But when did they turn that corner? Um, when did that happen? So I want to dive into that. I also want to talk a little bit about this new market efficiency, we'll see what happens with Padres and Phillies tonight, but of the team who you know doesn't necessarily start out the hottest. And is there something there where you need to make sure you don't peak until the end of the year? So we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, and then we'll also chat about the uh, Bucks PSA. I, I wanna do a PSA about the Bucks. So we'll intertwine all of that uh, tomorrow. I think I've just set up my show. I didn't realize I was gonna do that. And then I was talking about, I'm like, what's been on my mind? And it's kind of a free space because there's not much going on and we don't usually do Thursday shows. So maybe make it a little more evergreen for the people. All right, take care guys, have yourself a great day and we'll be back tomorrow. See you, bye.